Section 17 of The Science History of the Universe, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Science History of the Universe, Volume 3, edited by Francis Rolt Wheeler. Electricity, Chapter 2, Electrostatics, Atmospheric Electricity. Part 1. In the early days of electrical science, many of the experiments in electrostatics were developed, which still form a considerable part of the course usually taught in present-day schools. The attraction of amber when rubbed, for light bodies, was known to the ancient Greeks as long ago as 600 BC. About the year 1600, Gilbert, who had made several discoveries concerning the properties of the magnet, discovered in glass, sulfur, resin, and various precious stones the same attractive power known to be possessed by amber. From that time, innumerable physicists have extended Gilbert's discoveries and have found a great number of curious phenomena previously entirely unknown, and in this way have contributed to found that branch of physics which, under the name of electricity, has attained such important dimensions in modern times. If he had used a ball of glass or sulfur previously rubbed, suggests Guillemin, he would have known of the reciprocity of attraction, in the same way as he had shown that soft iron attracts a magnet. But Gilbert greatly extended the list of bodies, capable, like amber, of being electrified by friction, to those that we have already mentioned. He added shellac, rock, salt, alum, and rock crystal. He also found that electrical attraction took place not only between light bodies, but between certain solid bodies, drops of liquid, gaseous bodies, and dense vapors. Again, he discovered the influence of atmospheric conditions on electric phenomena. Boyle discovered the reciprocity of attraction between non-electrified bodies and electrified bodies, a very simple experiment on the mechanical principle of action and reaction being equal and opposite led to this discovery. On a pivot was placed a small shellac needle, electrified by being rubbed by catskin. Then on holding his finger near one end, he found the needle drawn toward his finger. Otto von Gehrig, who made the first frictional electrical machine, was the first to observe the phenomena of repulsion and he also drew from the globe of sulphur of his machine visible sparks, accompanied by a crisp crackling sound, which was in fact the noise of the electric discharge. Here we had for the first time in these early experiments the production of sparks similar to those which constitute the electric arc, though it is a long step from these feeble sparks to the dazzling splendor of the electric light. The experiments of the celebrated Burgemeister of Magdeburg date from the middle of the 17th century. At the commencement of the 18th century, that was to witness such brilliant discoveries in electricity, Dr. Wall succeeded in producing most vivid sparks and far louder crackling. He also had some ideas of the great discovery which made Franklin so celebrated. This light and that crackling, said he, are the same thing as thunder and lightning. The analogy was indeed striking, and it was not long before it was verified and confirmed. Numerous observations on the electrical phenomena were due to Hauxby. Among them are very interesting experiments on the light which is produced in a vacuum or in a rarefied medium when one introduces some bodies into it, 
and develops on their surface electricity by friction, or when one excites the exterior of the globe of glass, the interior of which is a vacuum. He observed in particular the effect of heat on the development of both attractive and repulsive forces. The attractions and repulsions of pieces of tinsel by a tube of glass rubbed with paper were found to be more energetic when the glass had been heated by friction. The effects of moisture and warmth that Gilbert had discovered were proved beyond doubt by the experiments of Hauxby, Dufay, and Gray. The following passage occurs in Hauxby's Physico-Mechanical Experiments. When the tube became hottest by the strongest attrition, the force of the effluvia was rendered manifest to another sense too, namely that of feeling. They did not then only produce all the forementioned effects in a more remarkable manner, but were also plainly to be felt upon the face, or any other tender part, if the rubbed tube was held near it, and they seemed to make very nearly such sort of strokes upon the skin, as a number of fine limber hairs pushing against it might be supposed to do. The discovery of electrical conductivity was made in the early part of the 18th century by Stephen Gray. While looking for the reason of the difference between the two classes, he came upon the general fact that all bodies, without exception, are capable of being electrified, but that the circumstances must be varied to suit the substances. Let us rapidly review the points that led Gray to this important discovery. Having electrified a piece of glass tube, the ends of which were stopped with corks, he was surprised to find that the corks, which he had not rubbed, picked up the light bodies just as the tube itself did, showing that the electricity passed from the glass to the cork. Gray followed up on this experiment by lengthening the corks with sticks of ivory, wood, or metal, yet he had the same phenomena even with stems which ended in a ball of ivory. Hung from a balcony by a long cord fastened to the tube, the ball still was electrified. He then varied his experiment to greater and greater distances until he found the same effect at the end of a cord 765 feet long. But Gray found that in order to succeed, certain conditions had to be fulfilled. The cord which carried the electricity had to be suspended by silk strings, as he found that he got no electrification at all if he suspended it by means of metal wires. One more experiment of Gray's that was soon repeated in all laboratories was to show that the human body conducts electricity. It explains the impossibility that has always been found in trying to electrify such substances as the metals. Having suspended a child by hair cords, and having touched him with his electrified tube, he found that all parts of the child's body had acquired the power of attracting light bodies. The same effect was produced when the child stood on a cake of electric substance, such as a resin, as was produced when he was suspended by the hair cords. From these experiments, which were then varied in innumerable ways, two very important conclusions were drawn. The first, that electricity obtained by friction could be transmitted to a distance through any substance that could not itself be electrified. The second, a corollary to the first, that this transmission is impossible or very difficult if the transmitting body is one of those capable of being electrified by the method described above. We quoted above Gray's first experiment, which established the electrical conductivity of the body. It was a French physician, Dufay, a member of the Academy of Sciences, who drew the first spark from the human body. 
being suspended by silk cords, he found when electrified that if anyone brought his knuckle near to him, he felt a stinging sensation like a pinprick, also that the person's knuckle felt the same sensation. When the experiment was performed in the dark, a little spark was observed. Gray took up the experiments of Dufay, and in his turn found that he could draw sparks from any insulated body which had been put into contact with rubbed glass, if these bodies terminated in a point. A small luminous cone was seen, accompanied by a slight noise. In reference to this, Gray repeated Wall's comparison between the spark, followed by the crackling sound, and the lightning, followed by thunder. Newton's grand discovery of the law of the universal attraction of matter, when he showed that the force was proportional to the mass, and that it varied in the inverse ratio of the square of the distance, incited the physicists of the 18th century to discover the law which governed the strength of electrical forces. Dufay, Hauxby, Muschenbrock, Epinus, and Cavendish were all more or less instrumental in attaining this end, but we are indebted to Coulomb for an exact experimental demonstration of these laws. Coulomb used for this purpose a similar apparatus to the magnetic balance. From the figure it will be seen that it consisted of two spheres so arranged that they could be charged and the force of repulsion between them balanced by the torsion of the suspension. By means of this instrument, Coulomb was able to prove the two laws of electrical attraction. 1. The repulsion between two electrified bodies charged with the same electricity varies inversely as the square of the distance between them. 2. The attractions and repulsions vary in the ratio of the products of the quantities of free electricity, that is to say, of the electric charges of the two bodies. The action of points on metallic conductors, in increasing the density of the charge at the point, received the attention of Franklin. The following quotation from his Experiments and Observations on Electricity made at Philadelphia, 1774, describes Franklin's own experiments on this subject. Place an iron shot of three or four inches diameter on the mouth of a clean dry glass bottle. By a fine silken thread from the ceiling, right over the mouth of the bottle, suspend a small cork ball about the bigness of a marble. The thread of such a length is that the cork ball may rest against the side of the shot. Electrify the shot, and the ball will be repelled to the distance of four or five inches, more or less, according to the quantity of electricity. When in this state, if you present to the shot the point of a long, slender, sharp bodkin at six or eight inches distance, the repellency is instantly destroyed and the cork flies to the shot. A blunt body must be brought within an inch and draw a spark to produce the same effect. To prove that the electrical fire is drawn off by the point, if you take the blade of the bodkin out of the wooden handle and fix it in a stick of sealing wax, and then present it at the distance aforesaid, or, if you bring it very near, no such effect follows, but sliding one finger along the wax till you touch the blade, and the ball flies to the shot immediately. If you present the point in the dark, you will see sometimes at a foot distance and more a light gather upon it, like that of a firefly or glowworm. The less sharp the point, the nearer you must bring it to observe the light, and at whatever distance you see the light, 
you may draw off the electrical fire and destroy the repellency. If a cork ball so suspended be repelled by the tube, and a point be presented quick to it, tis surprising to see how suddenly it flies back to the tube. Points of wood will do near as well as those of iron, provided the wood is not dry, for perfectly dry wood will no more conduct electricity than sealing wax. It is calculated that the density of electricity at an infinitesimally fine point would be infinitely great, since it is impossible to charge a pointed conductor in the air with electricity. This is proved by experiment. As fast as electrification is produced, it is given off the point into the air and disappears. When we examine the extremity of a point in the dark, there is seen a luminous crest. If while the point is in communication with the source of electrification, one places one's hand before it, a draft is at once perceptible, arising from the motions of the particles of air. This can still be better shown by holding a candle flame in front of a long-pointed conductor. The electric wind is sufficient to bend the flame sharply down or even to put it out. This movement of the air at points on electrified conductors has always been attributed to the accumulation of electricity, which has been compared to a fluid. But the following explanation seems to us preferable, as it involves no hypothesis on the nature of electricity, and besides, it is found to agree with known phenomena. The molecules of air in contact with a point electrified to a great electric density become charged with the same electrification as the conductor itself. Hence, the nearest molecules are repelled and others fill their place, which become electrified in their turn, and so on. Hence, the current of air, which only lasts as long as the electricity is being supplied. It can be stopped by putting a cap of sealing wax over the point. The explanation of the attraction of an electrified body for an unelectrified one was not well understood until the middle of the 18th century. John Canton of Stroud seems to have been the first to give the true explanation. His apparatus was similar to that shown in figure 8. If the sphere C be charged with a positive charge of electricity, the end A of the cylinder, which is nearest to the sphere, will be charged negatively. The other end B will be charged positively. We can prove this if we bring an electrified pendulum near to each end in turn. Suppose the little ball to be charged positively is found to be attracted to the end A when brought carefully toward it, but when brought toward the end B it is repelled. The reverse would be the case if the sphere C were charged negatively. It may be well here to point out the difference between a conductor and a dielectric or non-conductor. A conductor merely connects different parts of the dielectric which surrounds it and with which it is in contact. If, therefore, this dielectric be suddenly charged in one place, this charge cannot remain at that place because it is in contact with the conductor, but must flow into the conductor along it and then out into the dielectric surrounding it. And this takes place at every point of contact between the conductor and the dielectric. The office of the conductor, then, is to distribute the charge to the dielectric. If the conductor be spherical in shape, and there is no other charge nearby, the dielectric will be charged uniformly all about the sphere. If the conductor 
tapers to a point, the charge in the dielectric will be most intense about the point. Or if the charge about the sphere is influenced by a neighboring charge, the conducting sphere allows it to move as the charged body may dictate. This principle of electrical influence was soon made use of in constructing a machine for the production of electric charges, and which was the forerunner of the modern electrical influence machine. This was the Electrophorus of Volta, who gave it the name of Perpetual Electrophorus, because it preserves for a long time the charges that it has received. It consists of two parts, a cake of insulating material, such as resin, sulfur, or India rubber, cast into a wooden or metal tray, and a metal disc fixed to an insulating handle of glass or to silk cords. Frequently, the disc is of smaller diameter than the cake, and sometimes it is made not of metal, but of wood, covered on both edge and faces with tinfoil. To use the electrophorus, remove the metal disc and rub the insulating cake with flannel, woolen cloth, or fur, best of all with a catskin. This produces negative electrification on the resinous cake. This you may prove if you bring your fingers near the cake, for you will observe small sparks and crackling sounds. Now take the metal disc by the insulating handle and place it on the rubbed insulating cake. Now pause a moment. Let us think what has happened in this action. While you were putting down the lid on the cake, even before it touched the cake, it was under influence. The cake is negative, hence, as you hold the lid over it, there will be a displacement and a rush of electricity in the lid, causing a positive charge to accumulate on the lower disc, leaving the upper side negative. This effect will, of course, increase as the disc is lowered. It will be noticed that the metal dish in which the cake stands is also under influence, but this is of no importance. You must now touch with your finger the top of the lid. Your finger will also be under influence during this action, a plus charge accumulating on its tip, and then discharging itself with a small spark to fill up and neutralize the minus charge on the top surface. Now lift up the lid by the handle. You will find that it is positively electrified, and you can carry away the charge and use it to give a big spark to any other conductor. You can then put the lid down again on the cake, touch it, lift it up again, and take another spark as often as you please, the cake remaining all the time charged with its original charge. The length of the spark is roughly proportional to the size of the electrophorus. Maskhart, in his treatise, said that Lichtenberg constructed an electrophorus with a cake six feet across, and the disc was five feet across and the sparks drawn from it 14 to 16 inches long. Another very large electrophorus was made by Kleinworth for the University of Göttingen. The cake of resin was 2.25 meters in diameter, and the conducting disc 2 meters. The cake sometimes preserves its charge for months, if it be kept in a cupboard where the air is perfectly dry. We have said that the insulating cake of the electrophorus is made of resin, sulfur, or india rubber. All good insulators can be used. Mixtures of these substances are generally used in order to make the cake less brittle. End of section 17